Take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Continuing our sermon series on Proverbs. And while you're turning, I just want to encourage you about why it is that we um, focus so much time and energy on preaching and teaching God's Word. You know, um, you might say, man, what he's about to do and what, what I'm about to do. And I even say this, it's so out of step with everything in our world, isn't it? Think about it. How many times in your week do you sit quietly and listen to one person talk? One person hold the floor, hold the attention for a span of time. How many times do you see it done on, even on TV? Even on TV, the world of sitcom, the world of um, reality TV, the world of political debates now. Used to, candidates, you know, traveled this nation when they were running for office or their district and made long, detailed, policy platform building speeches. Now our world is filled with just the opposite. Stump speeches that are designed to be short, packed with power and intensity and emotion and to whip the base up to excitement, to get them out to vote. That, that's, there's no sustained discussion anymore from one person developing an idea. I don't care who you're going to vote for, that's not going on. People are not sustaining ideas. They're not lecturing. They're not teaching. Why? Because it's out of step with the world. Experts will tell you you shouldn't do what I'm about to do. Say, you're wasting their time. It should be a group discussion. You should sit down with a cup of coffee on a stool and take questions. Everybody just discuss. The problem with that is that's not what God says. The only form... I'm going to say something very provocative, and I'm going to follow it up next Sunday night. The only form of teaching that God fully authorizes in the conversion of men is the preaching of God's Word. Whether that's me on a Sunday morning or you at your office, the only way God says for certain people will be saved is through the hearing of God's Word. Sustained argument, carried over time, lived out, yes, but with words. Why? And I'm bridging over, don't worry, I know where I'm going. Why? Because we serve the only God who speaks. No other religion claims that their God speaks. If you go read Isaiah, begin in about chapter 40, and go through chapter 46, what you will read over and over and over again is the taunt of God to the idols. Speak! These people are following you. Tell them what to do. It's followed by Isaiah's response to the people of Israel. How foolish are you? You cut down a tree. You make an idol. You set it up. You burn the rest of the wood and you worship what you built. Has it ever spoken to you? Does it have hands to serve you? Does it have feet to walk around about the earth? It's the taunt of God to every other God. Supposed God. Speak to Him. If you're powerful, Baal, 
When Ahab and Jezebel challenged Elijah, what did Elijah say? My God speaks. My God acts. I'm going to build an altar. You build an altar. You put your wood on. I'll put my wood on. Now, y'all tell him, send down fire from heaven. If he consumes the wood, we'll worship you. We'll worship Baal. Tell him to do something. What'd they do? Till dark. They paraded around, danced, begged, pleaded, cut themselves. Boy, they got into it, and they were passionate. Baal did nothing. Elijah walked up and said, your time's up. Okay, now go get buckets of water. Cover that wood with water. Keep dumping it. Yeah, a little more. Come on. Come on. I dug a ditch. I need to fill that ditch up. Yep. Fill it up. Okay, is that sufficiently wet for you? So you know I'm not doing it, and no trick is going on here, no magic. And then he simply prayed and asked God to, in effect, speak. God spoke. He sent fire from heaven, ate up the wood, the stone altar, and lapped up all the water. Our God's the only God that speaks. And what you're doing by coming to a place like this, sitting down and listening to sustained argument from the Scripture, is you're telling the world, our God speaks. That's what's going on here. You are, by your being here, you are attesting to the fact that God is alive and He still speaks through His Word. Isn't that powerful? You're preaching the gospel by being here. It's part of it. So you say, I can worship God on the fish bank, on the bank, fishing at the river. I can worship Him on the golf course. I can worship Him in a tree stand. I can worship Him at my house. Yes, you can. What you can't do is tell the whole world that God speaks from the fish bank by skipping this. You can't do that. So we're doing something very, very profound. You're not going to get it any other time. And I would argue the more we fill the church calendar with dramas and, and discussions, and we'll do some of that, but the more we crowd out preaching, the more we're telling the Word, God's dead, He doesn't really talk. we got to entertain people now. That's foolishness. I believe God's alive. Don't you believe that? I believe God speaks. Don't you believe that? And I believe He speaks through His Word while it's being taught. I believe it. It's happened to me all my life. And so that's why we do what we do. It's not just so I can have a job. It's because it's important. It's eternally important. And God's Word speaks to us clearly today. Wisdom, wisdom is the way of eternal life. Wisdom is the way of eternal life. Proverbs chapter 2. Now I want to hold there. Proverbs 2, and I want to give you Jesus' interpretation of what we're going to do today, okay? Don't you want to hear what Jesus says about what we're going to talk about? I do. Hold your place in Proverbs 2, turn to Matthew 7, verse 13. Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, a very, by the way, proverbial sermon. Some have even, some scholars have tried to say this is a bunch of sermons collected up into one sermon, but I don't believe that. I think Jesus is teaching just like a proverb. He's telling this truth and that truth, pounding away one truth after another. He's building to a climax. In chapter 7, the whole teaching climaxes. In verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus says there are two ways in life. The proverb writer says there are two ways in life. Jesus said one is wide and easy and the other is narrow and hard. The proverb writer says one way looks good in the moment and another way looks extremely difficult. One way you get there by your own reasoning, the proverb writer tells us, and the other is through the reasoning of God. The, the proverb writer is doing very similar teaching. Jesus is picking this up. There are two paths in life. And some of you sit at the intersection of those two paths this morning as we speak. You are standing looking at the broad, worldly, entertaining, exciting, luxurious lifestyle that comes for a moment and leads to destruction. But you're looking at it, and I want to tell you something. Children, youth, college students, I want to speak to you directly. Sin is fun. Sin's fun. Parents, we just need to Blow up the myth that sin's not fun. Sin's fun. I, I never will forget my seventh grade year sitting in uh, science class. In my, I was at a Christian school, and the teacher spent 30 minutes in a lecture trying to tell us, trying to convince us, that sexual relations was not fun. That was her abstinence talk. It's not fun anyway. To which me and my friends all looked at each other and said, well, then why are they all excited about it? That's real. Sin is fun. Girls, guys, you're not married. The world's offering you fun. Drugs are fun. If they weren't, nobody would be clamoring after them. People wouldn't be selling themselves for them. Drugs are fun. Drinking until the point of intoxication is a blast. Staying out all night, skipping class, everybody's doing it. Spending everything you make today and not saving for the future, who doesn't want to do that? Our nation's doing it. We'll all do it, right? And anybody that tells you that's not fun is just lying. We need to be honest. You're staying at the intersection of life. You're looking down a very enticing path. It's wide. Everything goes. It's fun. Everything's accepted. Going the opposite way at this intersection is a small, well-beaten, but narrow path. As you look down the path, the people are smiling. The people are bright with expectation. But life's not a bag of candy. That's the truth. 
You come to Christ, your life won't get easier. You won't get richer. You won't get a prettier girlfriend. You won't get a more strapping and handsome young man. Most likely, you will not get these things. You're not going to necessarily live longer. That's not what the Bible's offering you. That's not what the proverb writer's offering you. That's not what I'm offering you. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus says that broad way, all that fun rolled up into one, ends in utter tragedy. And our passage is going to tell us that today. It's why we need wisdom. It's why we need to hear from God, hear from Jesus, hear from Solomon as he writes to us about wisdom. Because the truth is, many of us are struggling this morning, even though we're already with the Lord. We're struggling. Let's just be honest, mature Christian. As you see the people hurting through the other way, at times you say, am I certain I'm right? Because if Jesus isn't who he says he is, and this thing I'm following is not true, I'm missing out on a lot. The Apostle Paul says so. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied more than anyone. Why? Because in the end, we're all going to die anyway. That's his reasoning. And no one's raised from the dead, and there is no eternity. So we're missing it all for nothing. But Jesus is raised from the dead, and that narrow path is the way to eternal life, and the end of it is eternal bliss. I want to just give you the thesis here. Wisdom will lead you to eternal bliss and sin will lead you to eternal destruction. That's, that's the choices in front of us. So, if we look at chapter 2 in Proverbs and how does the proverb writer, how does Solomon want to communicate these deep truths to us about this very life-changing experience known as following the Lord, following Christ. He does it in a poem. Chapter 2 is a concise poem, 22 verses divided evenly. The first 11 verses deal with a point. The second 11 verses deal with a second point. The first 11 verses are a call to godly character. The second 11 verses are a plea for deliverance from sin. The proverb writer makes certain that we get it because he writes the entire chapter. He says, don't divide this. This is what he's telling people like me that like to divide things down into little bitty statements. He's saying, don't do that to my proverb. He writes this in one long sentence. There is no break in the text. It's one continuous thought from verse 1 to verse 22. I've said this over and over again. Ann Sprayberry would fail many of the gospel writers and the Bible writers. For those who don't know, if you need something edited, Kathy Wood and Sprayberry can edit it for you. Don't be offended at red. It's the color of love. They like to wield it. You know, they edit. That's what they do. They're English people. And they would rip, I'm certain, this proverb writer because he, anyone will tell you, you can't write this many words in a sentence. This is a full paragraph, for goodness sakes, Right? But how does the proverb writer do it? In Hebrew, he takes the first 11 verses and he starts every statement, every new clause with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
So that way we can see, if we could read Hebrew, we can see this all hangs together. And then his second set of verses all start with the same letter. This was a common device in the Psalms of Proverbs. This is how they taught their children the alphabet in Hebrew. You know, the famous chapter, Psalm 119. Each subsection of Psalm 119, the longest chapter by verse in the Bible, each subsection starts with a new Hebrew letter. They learn their alphabet by memorizing Psalm 119. Hebrew people were very passionate people. And the Hebrew language is a very passionate language. And so what they would do is not dry lecture, but fill this with poetry and song and, and probably all manner of dancing and whatnot to teach their children truth. It's how they taught. It was very engaging. Very engaging. And so here we have this most profound thought in life. The two ways. One of sin. One of wisdom. And the, he, the, the Hebrew writer, the proverb writer Solomon, does that in a poem. That's not how we would have done it. Trust me. In the West, we got no time for poetry. You know, give me the bullet points. Right? Tell me the one, two, three of it. But Solomon doesn't do that. So he unfolds his idea in a very appealing way. But secondly, as we observe this, it breaks down into stanzas. So I want to give you the stanzas. Verses 1 through 5 hang together. And these are the points of my sermon. You can write them down, then I'm going to fill it in for you. The first five verses say we must develop character from Scripture. We must develop a character-filled life from Scripture. Verses 1 through 5. Verses 6 through 8 are a stanza telling us we must leave the, we must, excuse me, we must have here, we must learn the fear of the Lord. Verses 9 through 11 tell us that we must grow in righteousness. Now the shift happens. In verse 12 through 22, the main point is a plea for the deliverance of sin. Verses 12 through 15 say, we must avoid wicked men. We must run from, avoid at all costs, wicked men. 16 through 19, we must avoid ungodly, wicked women. Verses 20 through 12, 20 through 22, excuse me, in his kind of summation, we will be delivered if we follow the way of wisdom to eternal life. So that's the outline. That's the bones of it. Now let's put some flesh here. Let's look at this passionate plea from a father to his son about the way of wisdom. So the first verses 1 through 11 tell us the way of wisdom. Let's read them together. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In verse 5, we find the refrain again, right? From the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 7. I said that's the theme of the entire book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And here he's repeating it in chapter 2, verse 5. If you seek after wisdom, you will fear the Lord and you will gain or find the knowledge of God. The ultimate end of the way of wisdom is to know God. It's not to simply be smarter than the guy next to you. 
It's to know Jesus Christ. It's to know the God of heaven and earth. That's the goal. So we look in this passage and we see that all of the verbs, everything in here speaks to the Son that He must be active in His pursuit of wisdom. Do you see that? I'm just going to run down through them. You need your Bible open. You need to be looking, following this. Receive. Treasure. Be attentive. Incline your heart. Call out. Raise your voice. Seek it. Search for it. You notice all of His commands all of his actions are geared towards his son, telling him he must go hard in life after the way of knowing God. Some of you don't know Jesus today because you have no desire to know him. He's not running and hiding from you. You're not seeking him. Jesus says, seek me while the day of salvation is present. Come to me, all ye who are weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus fills his teaching with the same type of imperative commands to us that Solomon is giving to his son. You can't find the way of wisdom by osmosis. You're not going to gain it by sitting and saying, well, if God wants me, he'll come after me. In chapter 1, last week's sermon, the end of chapter 1, you remember who was calling out in the streets? Who was raising the voice? Who was seeking people? Who was it? Wisdom. But here, the proverb writer tells us that's not all there is to the story. Because not only is wisdom seeking you, you have to seek wisdom. I told you, we believe in the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of humans. The Bible believes it, so we believe it. You cannot sit at your house day after day with your Bible closed your mind in neutral, not interacting with Christian folk, and expect to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. It's not going to happen. I tried to learn biology like that for the first nine weeks, six weeks of my biology career in ninth grade. My mom was the teacher. She let me do it. Isn't that mean? She never, kids, she never told me, you need to study, you need to study. We got a biology quiz tomorrow. You need, we got a test. She never did that. And man, I was engaged with ESPN. Dude, I believed I was playing in an NFL. I, I, I did. I, I drank milkshakes with raw eggs in them. Because I thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. I'm going to be the next superstar. Right? Some of you laugh because you've been there. I didn't pick up a biology book. I thought, man, I got this. I listened in class. I, no problem. We showed up. First, first main test for the section. I had that paper laid down. It might as well have been in Chinese. I took it. I made a C on it. I turned it in very trepidatiously. Kind of slid it across, hoping I wouldn't catch my mom's eye. She was just smiling. Yeah. She graded it, and we're riding. At football practice, I come home. She, we're riding in the car. She said, how'd that biology test go? See, that's not fair. She graded the test. I said, uh, I could have done better. She said, you think? How will you get better? Uh, I got to study. Yep, novel concept. Pick it up. You'll do better. That's what the proverb writer is telling his son. You can't sit on the sideline and cry about the fact you're not growing in your faith. Get after it. 
Go hard after Jesus. Go hard after the way of wisdom. Get out of the intersection, make a U-turn, and follow the way of Christ. He's not running from you. He's not hiding from you. He's in plain sight. The idea in my mind fits together as two lovers that have been separated. One is coming through the crowd screaming out for her husband and the husband is coming through the airport screaming for his wife. That's chapter 1 and chapter 2. Wisdom is running through the crowd screaming out to us and the lovers of wisdom are screaming out for wisdom. You know, it's amazing, no matter how crowded the place is, if you're hollering for a person and they're hollering for you, you can find them. But if you're hiding, you're silent, you're quiet, you're pouting, you're reserved, you've pushed away from the table, it's very difficult, isn't it? So when you feel that difficultness, get back in the game. Seek Christ while he may be found. That's what the writer tells us in these first verses. All of the words here telling us to come hard after Christ. Come hard after the way of wisdom. But how will we develop this godly character, we might ask. Look at verses 1 and 2. Receive my words, son, and treasure up my commandments within you. Like the temple, the Holy of Holies, which contained the covenant of God, the first written scripture in all the world was written by God Himself on Mount Sinai and put in the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Hebrews' temple, there was no idol. There were the words of God. Because again, God speaks, right? So he's saying, just like those words are treasured up by our people in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, and we know our God speaks, now you treasure those things. You put your treasure in the inmost place because you don't want someone to steal it from you. And that's what he's telling his son. If you want to know Jesus... How will you know Him? You will treasure His Word. You will hide it in the innermost parts of your being so that no one can take it away. I fear that if, by some order or some chance, our Bibles are taken from us, I mean, they're just rounded up, burned in the street, I fear we may be in trouble. Because there's not a lot of that scripture deep in us. God's people, the Hebrew people, lost their scriptures. But because they had treasured it and they had hidden it, they had hidden it, the remnant never lost the desire to see God. Never lost the desire to follow His way. So the first thing that in this first stanza is that we develop godly character from scripture. Secondly, we must lead, we must Excuse me, learn, we must learn the fear of the Lord. Again, look at the verbs. Look at what he's commanding. For the Lord gives wisdom, not switched. It's not the Son who's, who's actively seeking, it's God. The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. So we are seeking Him, and now that we have found Him, we have Him, we have the fear of the Lord, He's guarding us. He's protecting us. He's watching over us. He's storing up wisdom for us. He's giving us wisdom from His mouth. 
We serve a benevolent God. We serve a giving God. We serve a God who loves us. And He has never hidden His Word from us. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have to ask, what would Jesus do? We have 66 books that tell us what He did and what He would do. We have them. The words of God still speak. So in this call to godly character, we get it from the Scripture, and it is a gift from God. We learn the fear of the Lord from God Himself. Next, in here, we see that we must be growing in righteousness. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. You will understand every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. The path of wisdom is shown to be growing up inside the heart and mind of this son. If you follow Christ, it will, the way of Christ will grow in you. Your mind will be transformed, Paul tells us. Your heart will be captivated by Jesus Christ. You will treasure him above all things. If you follow the path of wisdom. Then we find that the direction of this way of wisdom will watch over us and understanding will guard us. I can't tell you the number of times in my life since coming to Christ that something, I've been in situations, you've been there, and we didn't know a particular verse, you know, chapter, verse, reference, but we knew that what was happening was a violation to God. We knew in our inner self this isn't right. That's what I envision here. As you treasure up Christ in your heart, as you treasure up His Word in your mind, you will begin to see the world as the way of righteousness. You will begin to clearly understand, I can follow this way and I can't go along with that. You may not know a verse, ready recall, but you know the principles, you know the truth, you know the God of the Scripture. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been there even this week, even today. You've already faced this. This truth that God has given us in our hearts, in our mind. The understanding is guarding us. It's watching over us. It's no secret. I read through the Bible. I've talked about it several times. And I'm trying to encourage you, not talk about myself. I believe you need to be reading through the Bible. I would recommend every year. From Genesis to Revelation. Why? You say, well, I can't study all that stuff. I'm not trying to get you to study all that stuff. I'm trying to get you to read and saturate your mind in it. To do that, you will need to read four to six, at the most, six chapters a day. Every day. 365 days a year. What will happen is the compounding impact of that will change your mind and transform your heart to be a Christ follower. You may not stop and study every single word in a passage. That's okay. You're reading it. It's, it's hanging the skeleton by which you put your life on, hang the hooks you hang your decisions on. Without that kind of intake, you will not be prepared for life. Not every situation of life. I've, I've been on this pursuit for several years now. Several years. And I've been around men who have been pursuing this for year, years more than me. I sat with a man several months ago. He's read through the Bible every year for over 30 years. 
I asked him, what's your plan for memorization? He said, to be honest, I used to have a plan for memorization. Now I've read through the Bible so many times, I just, it's just, I just kind of know it. I mean, I can't quote it all to you back word for word, but if you go, if you say, if you go to this man, you open the Bible and say, what's Amos say? He can tell you what Amos said. Why? Because he's read it, and he's read it, and he's read it again, and he's kept saturating himself with it. Now imagine you're here. I've got children in this age bracket, that's why I'm picking on it. You're 10 years old today. How many 10-year-olds do we have? 10, 9, 10, 11? Raise your hand. Raise your hand, 9, 10, 11? Yeah, I see a few shy hands. There you go. I'm telling you, if you'll start reading God's Word consistently every single day, by the time you're my age, you will know God through His Word. You will know Him. You can't know Him. I tell my kids this. You can't know Him sitting in front of the PlayStation or the Xbox. That's fine. I'm not I get totally against it. I have one at my house, a Wii. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying if you, that's what you invest your time in, that's what you will know. Adults, if we set the pattern for them, they'll follow. The way of wisdom comes to us through the Word of God. We develop character through the Word of God. We know the fear of the Lord through the Word of God. And the Word of God becomes our guard, our shield, our protector. So now you're in the back seat of that car. And you've already made up. You're, you're actually not there anymore. Right? You would have been there on that date, on that secluded road. Yeah, I was young too. I've been there. I tell me all the time. Those little phones now, they're wonderful devices. The GPS thing, you can watch where people are. It's a great thing. You won't be in that situation if you have the Word of God guarding you. If you don't, you'll be there sooner than you expected. Because that broad way is attractive and fun. And the narrow way doesn't look all that fun. Only God and His Word can teach you that it is the right way. Only God can guard you in those moments as you're making those decisions. So, what is He guarding us from? He's making a plea to us that we be delivered from evil, from sin. I just quickly want to run through this last half because it's really repetitive and it's just teaching us about the way of the fool. We've seen the path of wisdom, but the path of the fool, what does it look like? Look at verse 12. The Word of God will deliver you the wisdom that's watching over you will deliver you from the way of evil, from men of perverted, twisted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil. It's fun. And delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Twisted again. That's the word. Twisted in their ways. That's who the father is pleading with his son to be delivered from. Don't go after them. Why? Because going after men like this will lead you to women that are perverse. Verse 16, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, the strange woman, from the adulteress or the foreigner with her smooth words. The woman who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house 
sinks down to Sheol, to death, and her paths to the way of the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain their paths of life. What's the end of that broad way that looks so attractive in the moment? Death. What's a modern way to say these same words? One of my favorite uh, artists, as many of you know, I get to go hear him in person in October. I'm really jacked up about that. Is Lecrae. Lecrae wrote a song about this proverb. Listen to this. This is the modern version of what I just read to you. I know it's going to kill me, but I just can't let it go. And the taste so appealing got a grip upon my soul. These honey dip lies mesmerize me. Pride's got its crooked fingers twisted all inside me. Fools walk the path I'm on, never to be seen again. Sipping on seduction while we eat on some secret sin. In quotations, the voices in the background doing song say, not a lot of love and mercy. But the reason I'm reading is because I'm not a rapper. You wouldn't appreciate my rapping. I can't flow. Sipping on seduction while eating on some secret sin, says the whisper in my ear. And I know I should be over this, but I ain't seeing clear. And I ain't leaving here unless somebody saves me. Walking to my grave, letting evilness enslave me. Evil looks so lovely covered in her lace of lies. And the silky smooth seduction just manipulates my mind. Her fabrical fabrication is fueling my fascination. While I'm intoxicated, she starts her assassination. I'm losing all my honor and my years to the merciless, giving all my life away. But I'm just so immersed in this. Then the voice of the adulterous woman, baby, this is innocent. It won't hurt, even hurt a little bit. I'm only here for your benefit. I'm your every wish. Come on and let me in. Baby, this is innocent. It looks fun. It looks so attractive. It looks so appealing. And it's taking you to death. Her feet go down to death, so don't let her consume you. Even though her heart is black, her exterior is beautiful. She'll take your life away, strip away your joy, pretends that she's going to build you up, but she's just going to destroy you. My friends fell low while they were so high. Got me running scared of myself, no lie. And I know I'm going to die. I tried cold turkey, but when I'm feeling worthy, Satan's sure trying to murk me. For the older crowd, that means trying to kill him. I'm doing myself dirty, flirting with what's perverted. I should follow the word, but I guess I'd rather be murdered. Excuse me, I mean martyred because I'm killing myself. My sin conceived a baby and we're going to name it death, breath, taken. She takes my breath away, replaces it with poison, and I'm so swept away. I need some prayer today. Hope I wake up before they start my wake up. Somebody make me break up. I'm dating a killer. That's Proverbs chapter 2, verses 12 through 20. There's two paths in this life. You're either going to follow one to the death 
and grave and destruction of eternal judgment or you're going to follow the way, the truth, and the life and live an eternal life of bliss. You want your reward today? You can have it and it may take you to the grave. Or you can have your joy in Christ, follow His way, and though it's delayed, it will never end. Your eternity will be fixed. That's what Jesus told them. Right? John 14, verse 6. What did Jesus say? I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Let me tell you something, children, adults alike. There's a narrow way, and His name is Jesus. And there's a narrow gate, and it's a cross. And it's hard. And there'll be days you'll wake up and regret the things you did the day before and wonder if you even know Him. But let me encourage you. Find Him in His Word every day. Go hard after Him. He will not forsake you. And your voice will not be raising up from the grave, why did I do this? Why did I come to Sheol? Why did I walk into a path that led me to destruction? You'll be singing with the saints around the eternal throne of God. That's what he's offering. That's the last two verses. He says in these last verses, the way of the upright will be inhabit the land. Better translated, the whole earth. The way of the upright will inhabit the earth and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. What we receive for following the path of Jesus Christ is the new heaven and the new earth. All the joy they're enjoying today, all the fun that they're seeking hard after, all the things that you look at that look so enticing will one day be gone, swept away, and in its place will be the eternal kingdom of our God. And it will encompass the whole earth. And it will be ours. Do you get that? We will inherit, Christian, you can have today, but you can't have eternity in a new heaven and a new earth, which you have the title deed to. That's the, that's the, you're standing at the intersection. We're going to close the sermon by just saying this. You're standing at the intersection. You're watching one way that looks attractive, another way that looks hard, but you've got to see, be far-sighted enough through wisdom to see one leads to destruction and the other leads to you owning the entire world for eternity. The choice is before you. I'm pleading with you. Run hard after Jesus. Follow His way.